Alrighty then, it is that time. Let's get this show on the road. Off we go. It's episode 45 of Tavern Talk at the Rogue's Tavern. Make sure you will need this information. Stock up now for the coming storm. And it's time for you to come in out of the dark, settle down by the fire, have a drink, and fall down some rabbit holes with us. It's episode 45 of Shooting the Shit at the Rogue's Tavern. This week, we have tips for becoming a more self-sufficient gardener, pickling and canning, root cellars, and uh, we might get into some of the deep, dark rabbit holes. Depends. Some of them aren't 100% YouTube safe. And unfortunately, Murphy's having havoc and playing havoc as usual for me, preventing me from doing the multi-streaming tonight. And that's the way it goes. Murphy is a pain in the neck. Not my buddy. Rogue's Tavern's all about helping you prepare for what you'll need to survive the upcoming calamities. The storm is coming, and you need to prepare for what it'll bring. The solar winds, colder weather, the new normal, the Mandela effect, and more. So prepare your future now. All right, so we're going to start this off, as usual, with our spiritual reading. Because, hey, everybody needs a little spirituality in their life. And I like to read from my Holy Bible. 1970 so edition 73 I think it was when it was gifted to me yeah I believe it's 73 it's written right in here yeah June 2nd 1973 my grandmother gave me this Bible all right today's reading comes from Isaiah chapter 24 verse 1 through 23 behold the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury, to him the land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away, and the world languish and fadeth away. Haughtingly, people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate, Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. The new wine mourneth, the, wa the vine languisheth, and all the merry-hearted do sigh. The mirth of tabarets ceaseth, the noise, the noise of them that rejoiceth endeth the joy of the harp ceaseth. They shall not drink wine with a song. Strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up that no man may come in. There is a crying for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city is left desolation, and the gate is smitten with destruction. When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree, and as the gleaning grapes when the vintage is done. 
They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Wherefore glory ye the Lord in the fires, even the name of the Lord God of Israel and the isles of the sea. From the uttermost part of the earth have we heard songs, even glory to the righteousness. But I said, my, lean, my leanness, my leanness, woe unto me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treachery, yet the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon the O inhabitants of the earth. And it shall come to pass that, the, that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that cometh up out of the mist of the pit shall be taken into the snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean, dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high, and the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days shall they be visited." Then the moon shall be confounded, and the sun, the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. Wow, that was a, a mouthful. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a, uh, a bit of a dark prophecy of the earth there and uh, where we're headed, but... Dark times we have now, so dark prophecies shall rise up and be heard and read. So at any rate, that's uh, an interesting one. Go read it yourself and contemplate the message behind it. Because as I've said, you know, the Bible, maybe it's not just a history or, or other things. Maybe it is a, uh, a warning of the cycles of the planets. It's like many of these things, if you look at them in the right light and you read them, you might see some similarities in how they describe if you can untangle the words that are used. All right, let's have some entertainment here. We do have today's special video, straight from the B. An urgent message to anyone with type two diabetes or pre-diabetes, this discovery could save your life. Top doctor from Arizona has discovered the real... Yeah, there we go. Well, what's this now? The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness? Readings for city folk, but that tractor pulling for another 25 minutes. I suppose I could check it out. Inside these pages, you'll learn all about wokeness. Things like how to make skin color the most important thing in any situation. How to smash stuff in the name of justice. The proper way to compare everything to Hitler. And more. Handy tips for being less white. Jump off a cliff. Announce that you aren't that white. Just hate yourself forever. How to fight fascism with violence. Release the murder hornets. Beat a Nazi with a tolerance sign. Or just summon the genderless bear. This is just a sample of what you'll find in the Babylon Bee's Guide to Wokeness. 
After reading the Babylon Bee's Guide to Wokeness, you'll be looking for the nearest brick to throw through a target window. Ben Shapiro calls the Babylon Bee's Guide to Wokeness, quote, the funniest new book in America, except he said it much, much faster than I just did. Well, I'll be a possum doula. This book done radicalized me. Thanks, Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. I'm a full-blown SJW now. Well, I guess it's time to cancel my mama. She's a homophobe. There you go. There's today's entertainment video. All right, let's get going. Hey, there's people here. Welcome to the show, folks. Not so alone after all. All right, it's time to dive in and get in on with the show and the bits and pieces I have for you today. Yes, I'm all by my lonesome again today. Amber uh, busy moving this week, and uh, so she's just not able to attend to the show. Maybe if she's bored, she'll check in on it to see how entertaining it is. Or isn't, you know, I've got to monologue this thing. Maybe I'll have another shot and enjoy myself. You know, what the heck? Give it a good, oh, the camera's over here. I forget camera's different on this computer. And I forgot to tell everyone, coming direct to you from the Oasis and deep in the heart of the Cowichan Valley. Maybe I'm already drunk. All right, let's get going. Let's start off with our first article today for garden and urban farming. And the first one I've got here is an article here from our Stony Acres, and it's the five best crops that you can put together for self-sufficient gardening. And this is an important article. You might want to go read this. If you're, if you're growing out a garden and you'll want to know things that are happening, you'll want to know what crops are best for long-term survival. Now, of course, number one, you can see right at the top, it just says potatoes, and potatoes are a number one crop. I mean, after all, potatoes are highly nutritious and they store very well. I've managed to get potatoes to store from my garden for upwards of eight months. So it can, they can be stored. And if you grow enough potatoes, you could get a whole year's supply in just a few bins. Um, I think I'm up to four or five, I'm up to five bins now. First year I grew just a couple of bins to see how I could do. Last year I grew, uh, I grew four bins and they didn't do so well because of how I planted them, but I think this year I'll do well. The important thing about gardening is if you haven't started, you need to get started. As they say, the best time to start gardening was 10 years ago. Second best time to start is now. And even that, though we're in, coming, we're in winter here now, winter's rolling in. We're in fall, but winter's rolling in. Nothing's growing. Everything's going dormant. You can start planning and figuring out what you're going to do, start getting an understanding of your yard, and so much more. Next thing here is tomatoes. And tomatoes are a big thing. I've done very well with my tomatoes the last couple of years. I did better with my tomatoes this year than I thought I did. I managed to put away hmm, 25, 30 jars of tomato sauce. I put away a dozen jars of, uh, of salsa. You know, so it's, you know, that was just, this year wasn't as good as last year, but I was experimenting and made some mistakes. And you want to make mistakes when it doesn't matter. I think in the next couple of years, it's really gonna matter when you're growing your stuff. You're, you're gonna be more and more dependent upon your own food sources. And mainly because if you haven't been paying attention to the grocery store, well, I have. My food costs in the grocery store have gone up by at least 30% in the last three months alone. You know, what used to be a $50 grocery bill, last time I went in was $75 for approximately the same amount of stuff. 
So I know it's going up. It's everything is going up crazily. So I've got to start getting more and more stuff from my garden. So I have less and less dependence on the grocery store for things. Now meat, unfortunately, I'll still always have to buy because I don't have room here for raising uh, any meat animals. So unless I get lucky with the hunting. Another thing they mention here in this article is popcorn. Now this one here was kind of interesting to me because I like popcorn, um, but not just for popping. I discovered this last year to year before when I was in need of some cornmeal. And for some reason I couldn't find it in any of the grocery stores. They seemed to be out of stock. And I realized I had popcorn at home. I just bought myself a grinder for grinding up uh, wheat and other things, and it grinds corn. And I said, well, what happens if I grind popcorn? How's that work for cornmeal? Well, popcorn makes amazing cornmeal for muffins and other things. Another one is squashes. I didn't do so good on my squashes this year, but last year I grew enough squashes that lasted me all winter. So, you know, you can do a lot with squashes and, you know, Spaghetti squashes, other winter squashes, acorn squashes, pumpkins. Now, of course, your other summer squashes like zucchinis and the yellow pan pans and the other ones, those ones there, those are your summer squashes. They don't store very well, so you grow those for the winter time, so that you can uh, um, have squash in the winter. And the other ones you grow for your winter or winter squashes, and you just store them up. You store them up properly, store them in a, a proper room. And you can have those squashes all the way through. I think I cooked the last one in like June of this year from last year's crop. So they do last a very long time. And there was nothing wrong with it. It worked great. Kale. Kale's an interesting one. Now, I've still got kale growing in the garden. I'm not a big kale fan. I, I pick it from time to time. But the fact that I've still got it growing, and it'll last me well into the winter before it finally dies. I'll probably have to just cut it down so I can re repurpose the bed. But... Kale is a great one. Lots of vitamins and minerals in kale. So, all right. So there's your five best crops for self-sufficient gardening. Those ones there, you get enough of those crops growing, you can actually eat decently off of that and provide for all your nutritional needs. Okay, we've gone into now some home preps, cooking and other recipes. Now, the first one I've got here, now this is one I'm going to try. I actually have an asparagus patch where this year I won't be able to harvest enough asparagus to pickle. I'll harvest enough to eat. But next year, because asparagus takes about three years before you start getting a real harvest. This is my first year on my asparagus patch. Next year will be year two. And you can only pick a few spears because you need it to, you need the roots to get in well established to produce lots of spears. So at any rate, but this is one here, one of these times when I'm in the grocery store and asparagus goes on sale, which I saw this last week and I should have bought some, but I just didn't have time to can it up. But I want to make some, uh, some pickled asparagus. And this looks like a really great recipe for making pickled asparagus. So it's one you'll want to check out and see what you can get done. Uh-oh. Yep. Bloody commercials everywhere. Commercials, commercials, and more commercials. All right, another one we got for you here is fermented pickles. Now, this is something I'm hoping to try next year when I start getting proper cucumbers. This year, I got a few cucumbers for my cucumbers. I did a few things incorrect with them, so I didn't get that many. 
But this next year, I'm hoping to grow loads of them so I can pickle up cucumbers and make my own pickles. But I'd really like to try saltwater brined fermented pickles with my own cucumbers. So this is a really good recipe and one you'll want to check out if you like it. Now you could try it with the pickle with cucumbers from the store, but you know, they may or may not come out as good as you know like fresh. You want to get you want to get organically grown fresh pickle or fresh cucumbers either from yourself or a farmer's market. And it wrong time of year now to get those cucumbers, but hey, it is what it is. Ah, I must have bored people. They've abandoned me. Somebody gave it a like. Well, couldn't be all that bad. All right, let's move on to the next one here. It's a canning recipe. Okay, this one here is for doing pressure canning. Now, I finally got around to doing pressure canning yesterday. Yesterday was the first time I used my pressure canner. Because I just, I had to work myself up to it. If something brand new, I'm working with a pressure canner. Turns out they're really not that hard to use. It's really quite a easy process. It's more of a fear factor than anything else because you're dealing with something that, you know, has all these bad connotations around it. After all, they were used in making explosives and other things. But pressure canners are really quite safe to use. Now I've got a pressure canner that is quite old. My mother, I told her I was needing one, see, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. I said, hey, if you ever run across in the, in the not pawn shops, but the secondhand stores, you ever run across an old pressure canner, you know, that's in really good shape, pick it up for me. So she found me this nice pressure canner for, you know, 25 bucks or so. Everything is in great shape on it. The seal's good. Gauge is good. The weight was there. It even had the, the owner's manual with it, which was awesome. And it turns out this pressure canner, when I finally looked it all up, it comes from the 1930s. You know, so it's really quite old. And it's not like the modern pressure canners, which got little weights on them for your, for your pressure, you know, to hold the pressure at 10 pounds or 15 pounds or whatever. This one here has one single weight that holds the pressure below 20 pounds. And as soon as it hits 20 pounds, it releases. Well, you, most pressure canning, if you're under a thousand feet elevation, you do that at 10 pounds. Well, I didn't understand this and I was trying to get it to understand and because I'd forgotten the book, I'd left the book at the at the uh, brewery overlook and I was doing the pressure canning here at the Oasis. I had to look it up online and I couldn't find, I even from the manufacturer's site, they didn't have the precise model of mine, but they had an almost the same model. And so I was able to read it and understand it and get it to work. Well, it turns out this pressure canner, you control the pressure by controlling the temperature on uh, the temperature of the stove. And so it took me a while to get it to work. And once I got it to work, I got it 10 pounds and I pressure canned my first batch of my own homemade chili. I mean, I make an excellent chili, but it's always such a big batch. You know, there's always jars left over, or bowls of it left over. And now I can pressure can them, put them on the shelf and I have chili for a later use when I'm hungry for chili and I just pull a jar out, heat it up and away I go. So I'm really thrilled about that. So now I'm going to actually start doing some other pressure canning stuff. And this is one I was looking at doing. It's called Amish Poor Man's Steak. And this is a really interesting recipe. Now this one here, she's talking about, you know, making it with, you know, 30 pounds of hamburgers. So it's, you know, tons and tons of work. And, you know, uh, I think she, in the end, she said she made like 27 quart-sized jars of this. 
You know, that's a lot of a lot of Amish steak. Well, Amish steak is basically hamburger mixed with celery and onions and eggs and breadcrumbs and milk and all kinds of good stuff and goodness in it. And then you mix that all up and then you make hamburger patties and then you cook them up in the oven, fry them up, and then you toss them into the jars. Uh, you make a gravy out of the out of the fat left over and then you put it all into the jars and then you pressure can it which seems like a really good thing to do and so you have instant canned meat for a later use granted you know if you have the ability to do this many at once i say do it but if you don't you know like i may do some of these things that small bits and pieces five jars here six jars there of different things but i am going to start experimenting with canning my own meat canning um, canning soups and stews that I make because I make really good soups and stews and I like soups and stews but uh, again I, they end up big batches I'll be working on canning things such as when I make a big old pork roast I may look at how to can those and can it into smaller jars that can then be pulled out heated up and instant pork roast you know or instant pulled pork all these different things like Pressure canning is something to really get into if you can, you know, and well worth the effort to spend the money on on the jaw on the um, pressure canner. If you can't buy, find a used one, buy yourself a new one. But I, well, I don't know. I, last year, people went all out into canning in 2020. At the beginning of this uh, event that they had, and at the beginning of this event everybody was suddenly home and they started doing things that they always wanted to try and they found out well canning's a lot of work you know and it's like i that, unfortunately that just happened to coincide with the time i was just starting things and it turned out for a while there you couldn't get jars you couldn't get lids the canning equipment was hard to find even this year i noticed the canning equipment was a little lighter it wasn't as light as last year at this time when everybody was doing it before everyone started going back to work but still it was there so at any rate, this is something to check out and check into is get, getting into canning, preserving your own foods. All right, the next item we've got here is stocking and storage. This one here is an article on how to make some MREs at home, your own homemade MREs. Okay, very simple, easy quick meals ready to eat that you can take out into the wild camping and everything all you need to do is have some water these aren't like the MREs that you can eat straight out of the bag you know or put them in the heater pouch and heat them up and eat them but they are ready to eat you know and the the ones they've got here they give you a, a really good rundown on what you want to do, what food items you want to include in your MRE, how to prep them up, measure the ingredients, and then they give you three good basic recipes. A breakfast recipe, which is oatmeal, fruit mix, and barley drink. Okay, and then the next one they've got for you here is the MRE tuna salad and crackers. Now this one's a little bit different to me because, you know, they got a cup of tuna and tuna packs. now. You got those tuna packs you can buy, those foil pouched uh, tuna packs you can buy that are on the same shelves generally as the tuna cans. They generally cost a lot more for the convenience of stuff, stuffing them in a pouch versus a can. 
The reason you'd want those is because they'd save space and weight, but you could use cans if you wanted to and get the same amount of tuna. Dehydrated vegetables, some saltine crackers, you know, mayo, mustard packets, you know, and you can buy the mayo and mustard packets at um, many of the warehouse stores and other places. You know, or if you go into fast food places still, you know, and they got those those mustard and ketchup packets and stuff, just grab a few and stuff them in your pocket and put them at home. I mean, they store for quite a while. I think I've had mustard and mayo packets and stuff stored in upwards of six months to a year. So, The other one is a dinner one, cottage pie in a bag, which is basically made from dehydrated ve uh, veggies and and beef jerky. And then instant mashed potatoes. So I looked at this one. It's like, yeah, that was not such a bad idea. I bet there's other ways to do it to make it better. Also, there's a lot <coughs> of what you can do here. Now, one of the interesting things I note in this one here is they say use a teaspoon of tomato or beef bouillon powder. Well, tomato powder, if you get into your own canning, especially if you're canning your own tomato sauce, you will find that you have to go through a process that is called removing the tomato skins. And in removing the tomato skins, you need to, you've got to do something with them. Now, many people, if they got chickens, they feed them their chickens. Other people throw them in a compost. And I caught a video one time about ladies saying, you know, I take these tomato skins and I dehydrate them and then I pulverize them and I make instant tomato powder. And that's what I started doing. And so I've been making tomato powder out of all my tomato skins from dehydrated tomatoes. And then I started using that tomato powder in many places. And that tomato powder does add a nice tomatoey flavor to whatever you're cooking or making. So you can end up making some of your own. Another thing I'll be making somewhere down the line is making my own beef bouillon powder. And that is basically making your own bone broth, you know, running it through some filters, cleaning the fat out of it, and then dehydrating that bouillon, that, uh, stuff dehydrating the soup until it's powderized that's basically what beef bouillon powder is is dehydrated beef bouillon so at any rate really kind of cool ideas there something that could help you out along the line okay now we do have a couple of or wild medicine for you today and it's how to make a powerful calendunia extract or a marigold extract and the important thing here and I learned this this summer when I was looking at dealing with calendunia and I kept me they kept you know crossing it with marigold well marigolds come in a couple of different varieties caledonia is one variety and caledonia marigold is the only marigold you can use the other marigold is not usable the caledonia one has multiple medicinal uses and even a few food uses on it so this is a really good article and you got to make sure you got the right marigold to do this. And basically this is a how to make up a tincture, then sieve that tincture and then use that tincture to make different things and medicines that you might need, use or want. And it's a really good article on how to do that. So you'll want to look into that. Okay, the other thing I've got here for you other tips and tricks to do first one coffee grounds in the garden uses and when not to use them now I'm using coffee grounds in my garden but not directly and they go through here and tell you about some of the problems and how to use coffee grounds what you can do with coffee grounds 
how good they are for your garden and how you can't always put them straight onto the garden bed. Now, how I use coffee grounds is I'm using it in my Amazonian dark oil or dark oil, my dark soil, Amazonian dark soil, or what's being known as Ancon Sioux soil. I'm using it in that to um, work through the soil. And coffee grounds are very high in nitrogen, but they do have caffeine too. And caffeine can prevent some plants from growing or discourage some plants from growing. So if the caffeine content, your, your soil gets too high, you could discourage plants from growing. But this is an article telling you, you know, where to use them, good for roses, weed problems, you know, you know, mulch around your plants and other areas that you can use them. It's a very long article. You know, it does sort of, they do sort of help acidify alkaline soil. You know, I find it excellent in the compost heaps or actually I mix it directly with the soil that I've, that I fetch from the compost, you know, or the, uh, the final mixture of what comes out of the compost, which is basically a good, a good solid soil amendment, uh, works its way into soil. So there's a lot into this, so. Keep this all in mind when you're looking at coffee grounds for use in your garden. Okay, now here's another one here. Now this is something I wish I had space here at the Oasis to build, and that is a root cellar. Now root cellars have been around since man started putting away food. And a true proper root cellar goes into the ground either into a hillside or down into the ground about six feet or more and gets you down to the level of the soil where the temperature is consistent. Because once you get down several feet into the soil, the temperature stays consistent year round within a couple of degrees. Doesn't get too hot, doesn't get too cold, holds a nice high humidity at the same time, which is what you need for storing all your root vegetables, uh, many of your canned goods can be stored in there. Many, many things are stored into the root cellars. And this is a really good article about the different types of root cellars, uh, how they were built, the advantages of them, you know, and how to preserve your crops. Now, they do go in here and talk about some of the other, you know, root cellars that are recommended or something to do if you can't build a proper one. Like you could dig a hole in the ground, put a garbage can in that hole, line it with, uh, with uh, straw and other things, put a lid on it, and away you go. Problem is, as I, I when I thought about it, I think, you know, that just doesn't seem like it'll work 100%. And as I read more and more things on it, it does create some problems in how it can work. You know, the soil seepage, you know, that, that hole can fill with water. You know, if it's a metal garbage can, it can rust. A uh, plastic one, it'd probably be fine, but then you got the lids. Then you got, then you got the problem of keeping critters out of it. Because that's the biggest problem with root cellars. You gotta make sure it is secured enough to keep the critters out. Because the critters, the mice, the rats, the uh, raccoons, if you got squirrels, all of those will be trying to get into your root cellar for a free meal. And you know, let's not give them any more free meals than they already get. You know, you spend a lot of time growing your stuff, gathering your stuff and everything else. So why do you want to give all that stuff to the critters? But lots of things like that. But if you have a basement or something and it goes down, you know, like many basements go underground by a couple of feet 
And even here where I live, you know, the basement here, if the basement wasn't occupied and turned into a living space, basements often stay cool and damp all winter long. And they make perfect root cellars just because of that, because they're down at ground or below ground level. You know, they're the coolest part of the house. So if you got a basement, you can turn into a root cellar or a room in the basement, you can turn into root cellar. We got a room in the basement here, which is turned into a pantry sort of root cellar. It's not always cool. It stays relatively cool in comparison to the rest of the house because it's isolated by two doors. You know, it's just, but lots of these things come into play. All right, and they show you, got a picture of an old-fashioned root cellar. It goes into a hillside, goes down. They talk about the garbage can one, you know, how to keep it cool, storing your harvest, and more stuff. So it's a really good article to go through and understand and get an understanding of root cellars. All right, let's see what we got. Next one here, five survival myths that can actually get you killed. Now this one here is important. There's a lot of survival myths out there. And what's the right things to do, the wrong things to do, things you have to do if you're gonna survive, you know, wilderness survival. All right, one of the big survival myths, and I've given this one some thought too, you know, if things go crazy and wrong, do you actually need to bug out? Bugging out might not be an option, and it might not necessarily be needed. You might be able to just hold your ground wherever you live and ride out whatever the problem is, or hunker down and prepare to defend it. Because once you bug out, <coughs> you're open. <coughs> you're open to the world. I mean, camping out and whatnot, you have a 360 degree attack vector. If you're holed up in a house or an apartment, they can only come in through the doors, doors and windows, unless they plow through the walls. So, you know, you get a little bit better chance of survival. Plus, wherever you're living, you already have all your stuff there for survival. Now, here's another survival myth. You can always live off the land. Well, yes and no. You know, if you had to bug out in the summertime, living off the land's a piece of cake. Everything's growing. Um, plants are plentiful. Game is fat. But if you have to bug out in the wintertime, not so much. Plants aren't there. Even mushrooms aren't growing in the wintertime. Nothing grows in the wintertime. You know, the game is getting thin. It's getting... You know, scraggly, if you don't have food put away, it's a whole lot harder to live off the land in the wintertime. Now, unless you happen to be somewhere like, you know, the tropics where fruit grows year round and other things, but the vast majority of people don't live off that. Another, another one is you can rely on MREs. I always thought about this one until I was reading this and I realized, you know what, they're right. You know, you got these people, you got those, you got those, you buy those, like, not nah, going wrong. I have MREs, I have dehydrated food, I have emergency supplies. Like most people should have them. You should have those things on hand for emergencies, such as, you know, earthquakes or other events, you know, where you can't cook and you need a meal, you know. But these are a short-term thing. You can't live off them long-term. 
their MREs are only designed to be eaten for up to 21 days. And even then, troops, they try to get them a cooked meal a day if they can, if they're living out in the field. Now, listening to different grunts on YouTube when they talk about MREs, when they had to eat them out in the field, man, the MREs clog up your innards. They really do. They give you a bad case of constipation. You know, they're high in salt. They're high in other, they're high in stuff that, you know, doesn't pass through you very fast. Now, granted, they're high in calories, which is what you need to survive, but, you know, there's always going to be waste and leftover stuff. So, and even those emergency supplies, you know, those 30-day buckets, you know, where people can buy them for, you know, buy five years of this emergency food. Well, that's all well and good, but that dehydrated food doesn't always have the calorie content or the nutrition variety that you need. It might survive, give you survival stuff, but it's not going to give you what you need. Like if you have to start going outside and working, I mean, you think about it, the average person just sitting on your ass, watching TV, munching Doritos, drinking rum, you burn upwards of 2,000 calories a day, just sitting on your ass, just existing probably is a minimum of 1,000 to 1,500 calories a day. Once you get up off your ass and you start walking outside and working in the garden, your calorie, uh, your calorie needs suddenly go up dramatically. Everything you do above and beyond sitting on your ass boosts your calorie. And if you have to go outside in the winter, just going outside in the winter, in the cold, even though you're bundled up, you're still getting cold, your body starts producing heat and burning through calories. I mean, where does that heat come from? You know, that heat comes from calories. You have to burn calories. So you could bend up needing 3,000, 4,000 calories a day, especially if you're trying to provide for yourself and you're trying to do all kinds of different work in and around. You need those calories. So you need something provides it. And those emergency rations might not be it. So you need to learn how to stock and store, store your food. Like I think about the chili I put away yesterday. You know, in that one, I made pint jars. So in that one pint jar, I've probably got 800 calories of, of food in that one pint jar because it's beans and tomato sauce and, and ground beef and veggies and spices and all kinds of stuff in there and fat, you know, fat from the ground beef, you know. So, and those are the things your body needs. So I've got a very rounded thing. So I'm learning how to do these different things to survive that. Another myth, you can't miss with a shotgun. Well, yeah, you can, sorta. I mean, it depends on what you got loaded in it and how close the target is. You know, as they say, you know, if they're at close range, 20 feet or less, the shot pattern will be less than six inches across, even with an unchoked barrel. You know, so basically a shot that you might miss with a rifle, you ain't gonna, you're gonna miss it with a shotgun. Because they, they don't scatter, the, bead, the beads don't scatter out, so they get about 20 feet out. You know, I've sort of experimented with this at the range with different distances of targets on my shotgun to see, you know, what kind of blast pattern it has against it. And sure as shit, a few BBs go on the outside of it, but on the hole, at about 10, 15 feet out, the shotgun makes a hole about an inch across. So if you hit that target, it's going to do some damage, but if you don't, you're, you're kind of missed. But anyway, and outside that, there's just a few BBs outside that main hole where the large chunk of BBs went through. At the 50-yard mark, 
of the thing, it just scattered all around it and just BBs peppered it. So it, it's something you want to be aware of. Now, this is one that a lot of people don't deal with. I'm trying to break this pat, this habit, and that is don't be a lone wolf. You can't do it all. In a shit hits the fan scenario or, you know, emergencies, you can't do it all. If you, you can't, eventually you have to sleep. So you, you just can't do it all. And there's not enough time to do it all. So anyway, these are some really good myths and something you really want to look into. These are survival myths. Now, on this take here, we've got five wilderness survival rules that are actually myths. Again, living off the land is easy. Basic necessities are everywhere. Yes and no. You know, that's we just covered that one really well. Food and water are everywhere. You just need to know how to find them. Well, they are and they aren't. You know, there is food everywhere. Even in the winter, there's food, but it's not food that will provide you calories. Like you can go eat pine needles and pine bark and tree bark and other things like that. They'll provide you nutrition, but they won't provide you calories. And that's one of the big things. And water, yeah, water's everywhere, especially here where we live. Problem is, is does that water have, you know, Montezuma's Revenge hiding in it? You know, does it have a little bit of Giardia? You know, you, know, you drink that water and suddenly you got a case of the trot. So now all that, all that uh, hydration is going out your bum. You know, you can get dehydrated pretty fast. Faster than you can drink water, you can get dehydrated if you get some bad water. So make sure you got filters or you boil it. Um, this one here I thought was interesting. You must find food immediately when lost in the wild. That's usually the first thing people think about. Well, it should not be. That should be number three, maybe even four on your list. Number one on your list when you're lost is shelter. Number two is water. Sometimes you might even have to reverse that number one be water, number two be shelter. But one and two are shelter and water. You know, we're talking about rules of three, the rule of three here, folks. Rule three, you can live for three minutes without air. You can live for three days without water. You can live for three weeks without food. So you got time to get your food. You'll start slowing down after a few days if you haven't eaten. After a week, you'll really slow down. After two weeks, you'll be tough to move. But you got time. But without shelter to keep you warm and water to keep you hydrated, you're dead. Especially if it's wintertime or peak of summer when it's really super hot, you need, you need shelter from it. If it's mild, you're going to be so bad. You don't have to work so hard in the shelter. So those are things you want to look into. I like this one. Starting a fire is as easy as rubbing two sticks together. Sure, provided one of them's a match. Um, or banging rocks together. Yeah, well, that's another entertaining one. You know, I've had my scouts say, hey, grab a couple of rocks and bang. See, we get, you don't get sparks from two random rocks. You need the right kind of rocks. And also, starting a fire with a flint and steel is a talent. If you've never done it, you should, just for the experience, and we're not talking about the ferro rods. Those are really common now, and everyone mistakes them for flint and steel. That's a ferro rod. That, those ones create sparks a whole lot better than flint and steel. Buy a proper flint and steel. When you go camping, before you sit down with the match and the fire starter and all the easy, cool, fun ways we have for lighting fires now, 
sit there and try and light a fire with a flint and steel. It's hard. It takes practice. And it's a, it's a skill that gets extremely rusty. I used to know how to do it, and I can't anymore. As last time I tried, even with a ferro rod, I had problems lighting a fire with a ferro rod. You have to practice that skill regularly. And then using a, you know, rubbing a, a stick up against, like if you watched, uh, uh, what's that movie called? Um, not Survivor, um, Lost. No, it wasn't Lost. Uh, what was that one Tom Hanks did? He was lost on an island and he's rubbing a stick in the thing in there and finally lights, a, gets it hot enough. Well, that takes, uh, it took him days. You know, you can eventually get to it, but at that point there, you know, you're so frustrated. So it can be done, but you got to learn it out. Myth number five, playing dead during a bear attack. Yeah, and I, don't, I can't find anyone who still believes that one. If you play dead, that just makes it easier for the bear to kill you. I mean, you know, the biggest thing to do if a bear or a cougar or something like that coming at you, puff yourself up and make yourself big, make lots of noise, and hopefully he's not hungry. Because if he's not hungry, he doesn't want to fuck with you. If he's hungry, he's coming for you. But if he's not hungry, he might just be defending himself. It might be a mama bear defending their babies. You get away from the area. You know, they'll leave you alone. So, all right. Okay, let's uh, have a little bit of break here for a second here. We got a random happy piece of it. Oh, this ain't a video. We got a random happy piece of information here for you. A Navajo woman is bringing back long lost peach orchards to the Southwest. I thought this was a cool article because once upon a time, the Navajo used to have peach orchards all through the Southwest. And then, of course, when the uh, Americans took over and conquered their lands, they destroyed a lot of their orchards and food supplies, except for the few ones here. Now, these are a unique kind of peaches, according to this article. I, wouldn't, I wish I could get some seeds for them, maybe grow them up here. But they're different. They're smaller. They're kind of green. So... At any rate, it's a really cool article, something to go read. Okay, let's see what we got here. I can't go into the stuff I was going to probably go into at about this point, which would have uh, taken us off of the YouTubes into the alt tech. So I'm going to keep going because I can't do the alt tech here tonight. Who knows, because I've already set up all the alt tech. I may pop on to Odyssey later and do this stuff. I think I will. I think I'll pop on to Odyssey after I'm done here. This could end up being a shorter show than usual. Because there's just so many things I can't really talk about in here. Yeah, I just can't I can't bring that stuff in here. But I can talk about some of this other stuff that's here. Okay. We got some stuff here that are showing the emergence of the Great Reset. Okay, and this Great Reset, everyone's talking about. It's relatively YouTube safe. This here is an article about... Let's clean up some of this stuff here. I've got way too many of these windows open now. I usually get ahead of them a different setup on this computer so it's uh, not as there we go okay 
All right, this one here is the CEO of Blackstone is warning that a real shortage of energy will cause social unrest all over the planet. Okay, and we are headed into a time of social unrest. We've got things happening all over this planet that should give you distress. If you're not distressed, you should be. And with that distress, don't sit there and panic and worry about it. What you do is you go, okay, this is a problem. I need to prepare myself and my life and my family for this. And you do that by getting out there and prepping. You know, um, get out there and buy the things you need. Stock up. Hopefully you've been stocking up. If you're following me or you're watching me on YouTube, you're probably following many of the other people I do. And they've been talking about this way longer. They're the folks that got me started down this path. And they're the ones that gave me the heads up, like within days of the Rona thing, I suddenly started watching things that I had sort of half paid attention to. And I started listening. I ended up backtracking in their videos. They were warning about that stuff months in advance. And they're still talking about things months in advance of it occurring. I'm trying to get to that point where I'm months in advance. And I am now with my stocks and my storage and everything else I've got. I am, I'm good to go for quite some time. And you should do it too. You should be going to the store and buying. Every time you go grocery shopping, pick up an extra few cans. You don't have to do this all at once. You can do it little by little. Spend an extra 10, 20 bucks every time you go grocery shopping. Buy extra. You know, it's going to be harder to do it at that rate now. You may have to spend an extra couple, three, four hundred dollars all at one chunk. I know I did because what really caught me off guard was I had been I had been prepping for a long time. And then what happened was I had some financial issues in the latter half of 2019. So instead of going grocery shopping, I thought I'd save myself, you know, four or 500 bucks a month to pay off some other things. And I started eating through all of my stocks and my, and my stores, you know, they needed to be, you got to eat through them from time to time anyway, but I started eating through them and we got into January and then shit hit the fan and my larders were near empty. I had gone down. I was just about to start back into my my habits of weekly grocery shopping, buying my weekly needs and spending an extra 20 to 30, 40 bucks each week to buy the extras and get myself stocked back up again. Well, it turned out I needed to actually get out there and start spending an extra 100, 200 bucks uh, uh, on groceries to get myself fully stocked up and well in advance of what I need. And this is what you should be doing. You know, and we're looking at the energy shortage problem. And if the CEO of Blackstone, if you don't know who Blackstone is, go research it. Blackstone owns most every other company out there on the planet. You know, when they dig down who the ownership of our major companies like Tesla and Apple and Amazon, who the major shareholders are, It isn't the people who created the companies, except for Facebook, because he was smart when he set it up. He managed to keep 51% of his company. Smart man. But at any rate, we've got an energy crunch happening. I mean, look at China for the last several months. Uh, at least the last month they've talked about, they've been shutting down energy all over the thing, shutting down factories to conserve energy. I noticed it's disappeared from the news again. I bet it's still happening. You know, you've got propane shortages coming to Europe and Europe depends on propane for their heat and other things. 
You know, they want to demonize all these things out there. Um, this COP26 thing that's happening, you know, they're demonizing our coal, oil, and gas industries. But they don't, they don't bother offering up, well, what do we have that's actually usable right now? Yes, we might need to transition out of the uh, fossil fuels. But you can't just do it by saying, okay, we're done with fossil fuels, no more fossil fuels. You know, start inducing all this green energy, which is inefficient, highly inefficient stuff. You know, so inefficient that, you know, what does it take to build a battery? It takes mass amounts of fossil fuel to mine the materials, to run the materials through the processing before it's turned into a battery that can then be charged with electricity, which most of the electricity comes from fossil fuels, irony of ironies, and they call it green energy. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. So at any rate... He's talking about this, a real energy shortage um, and expecting higher energy prices. I don't know how that works here with our, with, our, with our hydro here. I believe it's regulated, but I haven't seen sudden price spikes, but uh, it's hard to say what's going to happen. So far, so good for us. Well, let's hope it continues that way. And once upon a time, BC had the most amazing electrical grids in North America. That was until, I believe it was the liberal government that fucked us on that one. They did a good job of that. They got elected in 2000 and they started selling off all of the assets that the province owned, that the people owned. The people owned these assets. We had almost all of our, all of our electricity for BC came from hydroelectric dams. We didn't need anything else. We had hydroelectric dams all over the province. Small ones and big ones. And we produce so much electricity, we used to sell it to California. You know, insanity of insanity. Now, not so much. So, at any rate, let's uh, continue on to what do we got? All right. Here's another one for you. You better wake up because the shortages are getting a lot worse. This is only a couple of days old, this article. And we're talking about wait times for chip deliveries have turned into wait times for everything deliveries. You know, used car prices are through to you, through the, through, through the roof. Tractors uh, for farm tractors are selling for 43% or 50%, no, that's 50% uh, yeah, over their price when they were brand new, used tractors. You know, you know, we've got other things that are shortages. You know, the food supplies are getting tighter. You know, with all of these mandates that are coming down the pike, you know, the ones, there's a couple of really scary ones that are coming um, in the new year that are going to impact truckers. Now, this is for anyone who lives outside California and gets most of their veggies from California here, especially on the west coast of North America. A lot of our produce, our fresh produce that we get here, even in the summertime, comes from California. And they're about to mandate that truckers be double-stabbed to be able to cross the border. And if that happens, it's estimated that 30, 40% of those truckers are going to say, mm, F you, I'm done. Have a nice life. Go F yourself. I'm tired of this crap. 
that'll prevent stuff from crossing the border. That means what little bit does get here will slow down and the price of it will become exorbitant. We've got other shortages coming in. You know, I haven't paid much attention. I need to do that because you think about this other problem. All right, I don't know how many people have paid attention to the garlic they buy in a grocery store. Well, I, haven't, I haven't bought garlic now since, well, at least June. I've got enough garlic from my harvest this year. It should carry me through till January, February which means I really need to plant even more garlic because what I need to do is I need to have garlic stored up from my harvest that will last me all the way until June of the following year. So I need a year's worth of garlic because I love garlic. But anyway, let's take garlic. Nice, simple plant. Everyone takes it for granted. Very healthy, good for you. Lots of nutrition, lots of uh, healthy uh, stuff in it that helps your immune system. But most people don't realize that 80% plus of the garlic in stores comes from China. Now I'm thinking about this, you know, just this one item with all of the backed up um, container ships and these containers that aren't getting unloaded. And then even when they're getting unloaded, they're not leaving the port for a few more weeks. What's happening to the produce that was shipped from China. Not to mention, well, China's having problems right now, so I imagine it's gonna drop off anyway. But there was lots of produce things that were shipped from China. So what's gonna to happen to it? You know, how's it going to get here? You know, is it gonna be any good by the time it gets through all of the crap it has to get through? You know, I don't think it's that valuable of a cargo where they'd ship it by air. I mean, after all, it's that, it's that cheap garlic that everyone buys for, you know, three bulbs for 60 cents or something. Been run through a process that kills it or kills the uh, outer parts of it, prevents it from sprouting and, you know, all the roots are ground off of it, et cetera, et cetera. It's not even alive anymore, I don't think. You know, granted, I used to use it regularly and it did sort of, it did taste like garlic, so. I don't know how healthy it was for me at that point, but once I started growing my own garlic, I went, oh God, yeah, this is so much better tasting. So anyway, we've got that. Then we've got another one, just in time for the holidays. I think this is the mandate I was just talking about. Mandate about to go into effect. Okay, and this one here. Um, let's see here. Okay, rule that compelling companies with 100 plus employees to require the jab or regular testing. Um, they'll mandate this to cover over 80 million American workers. And this is going to cause logistics to go insane. You know, you got already an 80,000 80,000 trucker shortage, a shortage of approximately 80,000 truckers. And the American Trucking Association has sent a letter of grave concern over the potential damage that these plans are going to cause on everything. So the government doesn't care. They just don't care at this moment in time. They want this. They've implemented it. 
this is some of the stuff I can't even go into all the other things I want to talk about on this because this would this was the stuff that would normally be over on Odyssey. And unfortunately I can't get there at the moment. All right. Here's one though. This is interesting. I caught this one. This is news just out today. Caught it just before the show. It seems China is well aware of what is happening. So much so that they, the Chinese government, is urging their citizens to stock up. They are urging their families to stockpile daily necessities and it's prompting panic buying. I can't imagine why. You know, when the government tells you to be calm, run for the hills. When they tell you to panic, it's really too late. <laughs> you know, when the government told everyone to be calm, that's when you should have been panicking and stocking up. Government tells you to panic, stock up on stuff, is too late. I mean, think about it. Your grocery stores, on average, have a three-day supply of stuff. And this is at normal, average, everyday purchasing. This is not for panic buying. Panic buying occurs, a grocery store can be stripped clean in hours. Hours for it to be stripped clean. So, this is a bunch of articles I picked up tonight. These are from different places. The Guardian, Bloomberg News, you know, these are not your side stream stuff. These are mainstream, primary, primary sources that many people look to. Now, this news here, because it came out today, actually it came out yesterday, but updated today. Once this trickles down into the normies, the average people, the NPCs, and once they get a glimpse of this in North America, the Western countries, and they realize that China's telling their people to stock up, they're going to realize that, oh, wait a minute, maybe we should do that too. It's going to cause panic buying. I hereby predict panic buying will occur. Actually, I think that's one to stick into. Let me stick that one into the Oasis's oracles, the tavern oracles. Panic buying in yarn countries, U.S. and Canada in particular. Okay, particular, and this will occur before. Oh my God! Before Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving is coming up real fast in the states. I would say before Thanksgiving or shortly thereafter. At least before the year, end of the year. All right, so we'll get that. We'll get that into the Tavern Oracles. So we've got something coming up, and it's going to be nasty. It really is. It's going to be a nasty time. It's going to be hard on everyone. Here's another article from Nine News. And 
China's urging families to stock up on food as supply challenges multiply. Now, so the other thing that's happening in China is China's had some major storms, weather, weather, weather problems, crop losses. Now, something that's not being talked about here in North America, we've had the same thing this year. We've had wheat failures. If you haven't heard, the Durham wheat harvest was really low. The soft white wheat harvest was really low. All the wheat harvests were really low. They were lower than they've been in decades, a couple of decades or more. And what we're looking at here, the Durham wheat in particular is the one to really pay attention to because all, almost all pasta is made from Durham wheat. So that's going to lead to a shortage of pasta. And it's not going to happen now because, you know, it takes six months for the harvest to be processed and put into the system because they have last year's harvest they're still working through. We're talking this year's harvest. So you're talking spring, spring, early summer next year, when that will start to come through the system. By that time, they can blame it on something else because this the information about this harvest will be long since forgotten by people. But it's going to send shit through the roof. We got a lot of crazy going on. Whole lot of crazy. Here we got another one here for you. I don't know who the ghost spot light is. The, the GOA spotlight. China urging regions to stockpile food and essentials. Okay. Go away. Go away. All right. Now they're trying to maintain prices and keep people from panicking in China, but you know, we are talking about, you know, a billion and a half people and it's gonna get hard. They got a lot of mouths to feed in China. So go check out these articles. They will be in the show notes. On that, I do have a video and let's watch a couple of minutes of this video here from the Appalachian. Introducing the Frontier Mittens. Go away. Best damn mittens ever. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. All right. Let's skip ahead here. All right. Let's watch a few seconds of what uh, the Appalachian Homestead has to say. And give me a chance Rick to get some drink. Rick put all this animal feed up. And I still plan to do that, I hope. No. Went by the store, got some more feed. A little bit of internal panic. I'm a human being just like you, but then I. You should be mad at this point. No one. All right, you have to watch the video to keep it all in context because she sort of rambles. She's got really good high high quality ADHD, which is probably why I like her so much. Because uh, I have the same problem from time to time. So at any rate. Check out these links in the show notes. I will try to get the show up as rapidly as possible after tonight so that all the links are there in the show notes as quickly as possible. You just go to therogestavern.com for that. All right, let's see what we got here. Oh, I wanted to bring this out even though I wish I got this information before last week's show. And... You know, a couple of weeks ago, we did a little parody video, which we thought was a parody video, and it's about the 
not getting your kids Halloween costumes, blah de blah. And I got this from my kid's school. It was a letter just before Halloween. And it went as follows. With Halloween approaching, we wanted to remind everyone of our orange and black day on Friday. In conjunction with this day, we are encouraging students to wear black and orange or their Halloween costumes to school. Please remember that students should not wear a mask covering their face and should not bring any weapons to the school as part of their costume. Well, the weapons I can understand. What got me was, I, I found it funny, no mask covering their face, but yet they make them wear masks in school, these useless paper masks. It's like, your guys' brain is broken. In addition, parents are asked to be mindful that their children's costumes are considerate of other cultures and beliefs. The articles below provide a quick introduction to this idea. Oh, God, I so wanted to just email the school and say, are you guys fucking retards? At any rate, let's take a look at one of these articles here. First article, and this is from the CBC, the Canadian Bootlickers of Canada. Okay. Your kids' costumes matter. Don't make them of a cultural appropriation. It might be able to help, you know. If you have to ask, what's the big deal? It's just a costume. Then recognize that you probably benefit from a level of privilege. Mwah, 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 mwah. Empathy is a beautiful thing to teach our children, our kids. Yeah, well, empathy is taught by the fathers. Once you've booted all the dads out of the homes, kids can't learn empathy worse shit. No dad, no empathy. Empathy is taught by the men. It is not taught by women. Women do not understand empathy. They like to think they do, but empathy comes from the fathers. Being sensitive and politically correct are still good things. Yeah, wah, bullshit. All right, political correctness is scourge of society. Absolutely. Always defer to the perspective of people of color. <laughs> yeah, no. No, no, no. Oh, I love this part. The article writer, having three biracial sons, I'm white and my husband is black does not make me an expert on this topic and no matter how woke you think you are if you are a white person you aren't either there it is if you are a white person you are to blame for everything Wah. you're not off the hook if you're dressing up as the character and not the culture oh so it means you can't be a character before your kid guns the costume of his favorite character, do a little research. Not all characters are created equal. Was that character imagined with a respect to that particular culture in mind? Or is the character respectful and representative? Or is the character a caricature or worse, but so often the case, tacky and sexualized? Disney's Aladdin and Pocahontas, for example, were not conceived in, in consultation with Arab and Native American people the way Disney's Moana was with the Polynesian people. In the later case, Disney employed Polynesian writers on the film and cast Polynesian voice actors. 
and while it's important distinction to make, that doesn't mean that everyone can dress up as Moana characters without thinking it through. Pacific Islanders have pointed out that tattoos are deeply significant and meaningful to Polynesian people, for example, and would any and would be a Maui's should consider that. <laughs> yeah, well, if you don't want it to be used, don't stick it out in the culture. When in doubt, just don't. Oh God, look at this. This Trump. She is the freelance journalist and former staffer at Flair magazine. Now, magazine at Edmonton Journal. Ooh, 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 ooh. She's got, she's got creds, man. She's got creds. Yeah. Fucking social justice warriors. SJWs by a different name. All right. Then they kicked out this video. All right. We're not going to watch all of it. We'll just try and get through a little bit of it. And the worst part is, is this is a video... This is a video for kids, man. This was done by kids, CBC Kids. It was done by a teenage girl. And they get this one woman in here to tell you, no, you can't be Jasmine because you're white. You know, no, you can't do this. You know, well, blackface, well, I sort of understand that. But, you know, for some reason, blackface is perfectly okay for our, uh, our prime idiot of Canada, he can do blackface, or even when he did it, it no longer bothered him. I'm sorry I did that. You know, and just so, you know, um, you know, it's like, you're, you can't put on a fake hairdo. You can't wear, it's like I watched this thing, I watched bits of it. You can't wear dreadlocks if you're not, um, the hell is it, Jamaican. If you're not Jamaican or something, you can't have dreadlocks. Anyone can have dreadlocks. Get over it. Get over yourselves. Once upon a time, we used to enjoy this. You know, life used to be good. We used to do whatever we wanted. And, you know, people, if they were offended, fuck them. Get over it. Be offended. You, you have a right to be offended, but I have a right to offend you. So fuck off. All right. Well, I was going to go down a deep, dark rabbit hole, but I don't think it's appropriate for, for, um, for the show here because it's a really cool rabbit hole rabbit hole it sucked up like six eight hours of my time it took me places I never expected to go and how I got there was I was researching the Georgia Guidestones now if you're not familiar with the Georgia Guidestones these are a set of stones with a Ten, with, an, with an inscription for 10 rules on it, basically, for how humanity should live. And they appeared in a Georgia field. Hmm, I can't remember when it was, 80s, 90s, somewhere in there. I can't remember the precise date. But the number one thing in there was that the population of the planet needs to be below 500,000. And that's the one everyone fixates on. They fixate on that new world order, dropping the population below 500,000, blah, blah, blah. Well, I got tired of all this. And I said, you know, I've never actually researched these things. I don't know much about them aside from this one point. And so I started researching them and I tripped across this one site and this fellow who does some really deep writing. The notes will be in this week's show notes and next week's. So if you want to go find those links in here, go find them. 
But he's got a whole different theory about this. And I can get to part of the theory. Part of the theory is that um, the Georgia Guidestones are not telling them what they're going to do, but they're a warning about what's going to happen to the planet and the major cataclysm that's coming for the planet. And it's a really good deep dive if you've got time on your hands to kill and you want to find out what it's all about. Go check it out. All right. Let's go check out some of the other strange stuff. All right, I've got, an in, I've got a video here called The Dead Internet Theory, part one and part two. Now, these videos are really quite interesting once we get through the commercials. And it's a really good Talk about something thing. called the dead. This is an interesting aspect of the dead internet, meaning that the internet is no longer what the internet once was. And this is a 29 minute video. And it talks about the creation of the internet, you know, all the information that's on the internet, all the stuff that's there, and it's a really good deep dive into the internet and what it is. You know, it's such a fascinating look at everything, and you gotta follow these links and go check it out. I followed this down a trail and just sort of enjoyed myself checking it out. And we used to have so much more information on the internet. This is where the dead internet theory comes in. Like I've been around the internet since its creation, or not creation, you know, the internet was created way back in the 60s. Uh, since, since it started to become mainstream. I started back into computers about 1996. And uh, I was there for the bulletin board systems, the gopher, gopher phase, the hop, skip, and jump from bulletin board to bulletin board, the communities that built up around that. Since then, I've fallen away from all of that, but I was there when the first internet protocol was pushed out and we started to build our own websites. And from 1998 to 2002, there was so much information on the internet. I couldn't collect it all. I tried to collect it. I didn't do a very good job. I wish I'd have been able to collect more of it and organize it better. I've still got it somewhere on an old hard drive. Many, many different websites just sprung up. People were wanting, I've got this information. I want to share it with the world. Problem is, is a lot of the information was either copyrighted or belonged to somebody or they needed to bury that information because it didn't need to be true. I mean, like when Google first came out, one of the most amazing things about Google when it first came out and it started following all the links across the internet and it actually would return you results for amazing stuff. Top secret documents that were stored on servers that were accessible by the web appeared. PDF files appeared. Documents appeared. Um, company documents, all kinds of stuff. And Google would just turn this stuff out to people and you could go do it and crank it out. And I got a few interesting things. I've long since lost them, but there was so much really great stuff. Well, now if you go search for something, you know, you get crap on a Google search. And he goes through this on this one point is, you know, when you're going through a Google search, you know, or even DuckDuckGo or any of the search, it doesn't really matter. Pick the search engines. It doesn't really matter. 
you know, they call it the internet of thingies. 61 and a half percent of web traffic is not even human traffic anymore. It's all bots. So you get 61% of the internet is internet bots. That's it. It's bots, bot traffic. That's a lot of traffic going through that is just collecting data or clicking clicks or doing all kinds of other insane stuff. You know, it's like the internet used to be really good. There's two links in here. There's part one and part two for this. And it's so worth the time to sit and watch it and get to understand it. Where'd that go? There we go. There we go. Every once in a while, I still trip across a website that was built in the late 90s, early 2000s. They just can't, they, they, they get their traffic, they just can't be bothered to upgrade. I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. You know, if it was getting my traffic I needed to satisfy my needs or whatever. Yeah, this is a fascinating time. But this is a really good one, the dead internet theory. And that the internet is actually dead. The information we're getting from it is no longer as useful as it used to be. When the internet was created to share the knowledge of the world. Problem is, is that it's no longer sharing the knowledge. They keep putting up roadblocks, roadblock after roadblock after roadblock against this information and knowledge. All right. All right, here's another one. Facebook recognition to eat lunch. Why stop there, you cowards? Okay, this is interesting. Facial recognition has arrived in school canteens. Nine schools in Scotland have started taking lunch payments from school children by scanning their face. Oh, that's actually quite scary. Supposedly speeds up the lengthy payment process. Yeah, you know. And it's more secure than using cards and fingerprint scanners. Yeah, no, how can it be more secure than using a card or a fingerprint scanner? And even fingerprints are kind of scary. A card. I can sort of understand, you know, and I love the one you, you could make the school lunches free. Well, you could, but that'll never happen. I like this one part, but why invest in healthy meals for children? You can splurge on technical solutionism instead. Well, that they got a point there. The writer of the article has a point. What they spend, they probably spent tens of thousands of dollars on this face, face scanner stuff. And they could have, you know, given free lunches to the kids instead. No. no. I like this bit. They go on. Facial recognition can solve practically every social problem. Here's a few examples. Mental health issues. Facial recognition can put them on a path to stoicism. Instead of paying for pointless therapy, cameras equipped with emotional AI can detect when they're feeling blue. A connected robot can then advise them, keep your chin up. Place a cold, comforting hand on their shoulder or give them a slap if the behavior continues. Climate change. Some people blame the climate crisis on fossil fuel firms and feckless politicians, but they should really point the finger at the activists. Their lecturing and hypocrisy are only doing their cause harm. 
I learned this important lesson from white-wing media outlets, which definitely aren't trying to discredit liberals, avoid additional taxes, circumvent regulations, and protect the fossil fuel. Poverty. Politicians. Oh, wait a sec. Yeah, that's just, you know, it was a leftard that wrote this article. Politicians have tried myriad methods in poverty from building welfare states to overthrowing governments. But have they tried facial recognition? The tech can tackle the problem at its roots. All AI cameras would scan the streets and identify poor children in sunken aisles. The kids would then be whisked away to government facilities for rigorous rehabilitation. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, that's sad. The otter revolution is coming to a head. Otters have been reported to be attacking people and pets in some of Alaska's most popular outdoor areas. Yay for the otters. Go get them pesky humans. Israeli News Live. All right, I will have to hold that video because that's got stuff in it that I can't put here on YouTube. All right, 11. Okay, I've got one last thing here. I'm going to call this show a bit early tonight. I got one last thing. 11 extraordinary, extraordinary out of place artifacts. I've got a, a new section of the show for out of place artifacts. Now, these have always fascinated me. This is the burying, the destruction, the literal destruction of humanity's history. We're not talking North America history or European or Asian or China or Japanese. We're talking about the history of humanity. Us humans, we have achieved this level of technology before. And for some reason, we have a massive amount of amnesia about it. That's part of the other rabbit hole I was going to go down. And we'll come back to that one later. But every once in a while, artifacts appear. And there's no explanation for these artifacts. They appear in rock, which is supposed to be 30, 50, 100,000 years old. They're objects that appear in chunks of coal, which was supposed to be laid down 30,000 years ago. Such as this one, a 300 million year old screw found in the middle of a rock. You know, you've got this one, a Numpa figurine that was found, challenging the evolutionary scenario. Oh, we got another one in here, the antediluvian small cube that remains a great challenge to science. You know, a bell, an ancient bell-shaped metal vase embedded within 15 feet of solid sedimentary rock. This bell was found in sedimentary rock. You know, it's resembled a silver zinc vase inlaid with fine silver in the form. It was embedded within 15 feet. The age of this vase, according to the rock in which the rock in which it was found is millions of years old, supposedly. You know, the hammer and the rock. This one here is one of my faves because this one's been around for a long time. It's a London hammer embedded in a hundred year old, hundred million year old rock. How did it get into that rock? You know, artifacts that are out of, out of the displays. Hey, look, it's Princess Leia. 
It's got the Millennium Falcon on our ears. <laughs> you know, it's like we've got some amazingly weird stuff that just pops up. And every once in a while, these pop into me, into my stuff, my feeds and whatnot. And I just like looking at them to see. You know, you've got things that are questionable, such as, you know, this. This is one of the Egyptian carvings, you know. And it does kind of look like a filament of a light pole, you know. You know, uh, a wall found in Rockwell, Texas. You know, appeared to be an ancient rock wall estimated between 200 and 400,000 years old. Natural formation. Yeah, no, that's not a natural formation. I'm sorry. You know, 100 billion year old nuclear reactor. Or 1.8 billion year old react nuclear reactor. You know, supposedly it was in operation for some 500,000 years. Nuclear, man-made nuclear reactor. So it's like we've got some really amazing things. Then you've got the map, um, the Pre's map of 1513, which showed Antarctica without ice. And as we were able to properly map Antarctica, we discovered that that map was correct. You know, an earthquake detector. You know, we've got so many things out there. This device here, which they finally analyzed and rebuilt. A drill bit and coal. The spheres. These spheres are a fascinating trip down to find out all about those. You know, you've got so many things in here to look at. It's just truly fascinating. Lots of them. Let's go. We got another one. The Out of Place Articles of Who Really Discovered America. This is where they found Roman coins in America. You know. So, you know, artifacts at the bottom of the ocean, Roman coin in North America. You know, little tidbits like that. Five out of place artifacts that challenge mainstream history. You know, you've got the petrified finger with a finger made of stone take your pick you know a hidden character stone you know a 300 million old piece of aluminum machine found in Russia you know the 290 million year old human footprint you know the Daska shown stone 120 million year old map so it's like we got all these amazing things out there. And they still try to tell us that this is our first time that humans have obtained this level of knowledge. I don't believe it for a minute. We've been here before. And each time we got here, either Mother Nature kicked us at, kicked our asses back to beyond the stone ages to start all over again or we did it to ourselves by blowing something up and it may happen again and why do we keep ending up in this spot well the reason we end up in this spot is one simple reason it's greed through and through Greed is what gets us here.
or gets us back into this uh, into the place of starting over because if we actually know this ancient history know the information and there's probably people that have and know this information but they don't pass it on because they go oh the people are too stupid to understand well you look at the population now and you might think they are but you look at the population 100 years ago 150 years ago they had the capability to make it work forward and keep it going but those in the elite circles didn't want that they wanted to maintain their power maintain their status maintain their control and that's what's happening now we can see it throughout the world with this rona thing all they've done is bring in one thing after another to control the population first it was two weeks to flatten the curve then it was oh another month to flatten the curve oh you don't need masks oh you need masks oh you don't need masks oh you can go out for the summer and enjoy yourself be free be free and live happy humans well that's because in the summertime they have to do something because otherwise the people would really revolt um, then it's like oh lock them down oh we got more of this we got more of that oh we invented created a miracle substance that will alleviate all the problems and we only need 50% 60% of you to get this miracle substance and everybody will be happy and fine oh we need you to have 70% we need 80% we need 90% we need 100% of the people to have this miracle substance and everyone can have back their freedoms well those you had those freedoms you just let them take them away well, we all let them take them away. We're all guilty. Every one of us is guilty on this part. Some of us just sit here and bitch about it on a computer. Others have more chutzpah. What can I say? They have more balls and they get out there and they protest. Well, they got more time or they've got other things they can do. Problem is, is when all these people are getting fired, it's going to change everything fired laid off prevented uh, it's gonna put more people out there to protest but at any rate it's that greed that keeps us from evolving to the next level humans are meant to evolve to a whole new level and it will happen sooner or later it will happen at any rate on that high note I think I'm going to uh, call it a show it's shorter than usual but what I was planning to do would have carried me through for at least another half an hour to 45 minutes and I think I've covered up oh we got one other item here yeah this was a Canadian news one I think this is old I don't know if it's still going um got that from September holy crap Oh, they're carrying to the end of the year. Okay, so it's still it's still valid. If you're ordering food, the Canadian government is paying five percent of all the delivery fees associated with getting it delivered because of the what's my dig it doohickey thing. 
and the fees charged to restaurants capped at 15%. And extended to December 15th. All right, I'll be able to get that one out of the show notes. Let's see what else. Do I have anything else that's really got to get covered? Oh, wait a sec. I do have a couple of quick memes. Let's do these. All right. A couple of really good memes here. The summit has had a big impact on climate change. At least 1,700 private jets are expected at the COP26. Yeah, I believe that's about right. Yeah, they've had a big impact on climate change. Absolutely. All right, let's get a couple more here. The people jabbity-jabbed against the Rona are less likely to die from any cause. I love this, this headline. I should have brought that in. This is the most, the most ridiculous headline ever by CNN Health. CNN News put this headline out. If you got the Rona stab stab, then you are less likely to die from jumping out of an airplane with a parachute. Any cause, any cause, you're less likely to die from any cause. So basically you are now immortal. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, that was just funny. And I like this one here. The Department of Corrections versus the Department of Education. Corrections has a white bus. Education has a yellow bus. Corrections has a cafeteria. Hmm, education has the same cafeteria. Corrections has this crappy-ass food on a tray. Education has this same crappy-ass food on a tray. Really? There's really not much difference between the two. That's why they call it the um, school-to-prison pipeline. All right. Oh, and we've got one more thing from the Babylon Bee. Because I don't have any TikTok videos. Kids, they, they had no time to get them for me this week. So we'll close that with this. Actually, maybe. Let's see. Yeah, okay. That one there is for other stuff. All right. The CDC reminds people to listen to all medical professionals except for the tens of thousands who refused the jabby jab. Who refused Jabba the Hut. There we go. We'll call it Jabba the Hut. So the CDC, oh, this is, while this is fake, supposedly satire, the sad thing is it's really actually kind of true. You know, they issued a reminder for all Americans to trust health care professionals when learning about the job at a hut, except if a doctor disagrees with the government, which in case he should be ignored and fired. And that's exactly what they're doing to him. They're ignoring him and firing him. Any healthcare professionals who disagree with the narrative here, are being health cared and or health cared being sidelined and fired. Yeah, they're being health cared. <laughs> I like that. Slip of the tongue. They're being health cared. Yeah, I've got some CRT stuff too, but that doesn't go over really well on the on the tubes. I'll carry that over for another week. It'll be old news by then, but it'll still be entertaining. All right. Well, I think that's it. That's all I've got for folks. We'll just call it, we'll call it that. It's been fun. It's tougher to carry this on by myself for that length of time because I just don't have everything fully ready. I suppose if I did this enough by myself, it would uh, carry on just fine. Once I get into it at different points, really, really good. All right. That's all I got for you. A little bit of music. Carry us on out of here.
These are the days of thunder. We're gonna make time stand still. Take care. Mm. Bye-bye.